Today, what should we expect from the 2022 US midterm general elections in relation to the House of Representatives? I'm Kieran O'Meara, and you're listening to The Polyp Podcast. We don't boo vote. Yes, the midterm general elections in America are upon us. And for some political scientists, it's like Christmas, but especially busy. (laughs) With things going on all over the place, and it's difficult to try and keep track as to what's going on and what's happening where. So to add to this confusion, I thought I would do an episode on the House races um, and what we should expect from the House of Representatives come Wednesday morning or Thursday morning or Friday morning or Saturday morning (laughs) or Sunday morning or three weeks time or whatever. (laughs) That's the first thing. I would not expect a quick result from this particular midterm general election in America. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to have a discussion about divided government in the work of David Mayhew. We're also going to then look at the overview, statistical overview of the House of Representatives at elections between 2000, a little bit before actually, but 2000 and 2020, just to look at some some trends, some averages, some correlations maybe, that sort of thing. We're going to talk about incumbency rates and how they're so high. And then we're going to talk a little bit about probabilities, what we can expect to happen. And then lastly, the second half of this episode, I'm going to reel off a list of races that I think are going to be really important to stay tuned in for, for lots of different reasons as to why they're significant. Now, there's a couple of bits that are really, really important to walk through. First, it's firework night here in the UK. So if you hear some random explosions in the background, it's not because people are praising this podcast, we wish, but who knows? (laughs) No, it's because it's firework night. So I apologise for any loud bangs you might hear. Also, this is one of those rare episodes which is completely unscripted, so I am thinking and speaking at the same time. (laughs) Which is something my mother told me never to do. (laughs) So I apologise if there's lots of ums and lots of likes and lots of mistaking numbers for different things. Bear with me, this is on the spot. Normally I try and get my house in order, get my ducks in a row before I come to a microphone, but not today. (laughs) So good luck for everyone. (laughs) Oh, and also, before we begin, just to remind you that if you haven't done so, go to the website at www.thinkpollet.com and there you'll be able to see an article, an essay I've just uploaded called Talking Turnout on the 2022 Midterm Elections. There you'll be able to see a historical analysis of midterm general election turnout and why my prediction, 42 to 48%, is the way it is despite media hype. Um, And you'll be able to see just my analysis of turnout and why we should expect turnout to be the way it is and why turnout is important to analyse. Alongside that, don't forget that I will be tweeting different graphics Uh, different races and I'll be doing analysis on the evening of the election itself yes even in London I will be staying up way past my bedtime (laughs) okay let's go okay let's talk about the house so before I go into talking about this particular election I'd like to bring up an older uh, political scientist called uh, David Mayhew David Mayhew is particularly significant for political science and American politics, 
um, because David Mayhew focuses almost exclusively on Congress. So when we talk about congressional elections, we can use a lot of Mayhew's wisdom to enlighten us. Now, the first thing of Mayhew's in uh, uh, his uh, long uh, his uh, long essay, his book on Congress, um, uh, the Electoral Connection, what we see is a discussion of Congress people as what he calls single-minded seekers of re-election. Now, because congressional terms are only two years, what we see is that Congress people tend to focus the entire time on what they can do to ensure their re-election. So when, whether that be um, uh, uh, pork barreling, where you bring money, federal money back to your district, or whether that be being on a particular committee, what we can see is that during an electoral period, during an election time, uh, we kind of see the single-minded seekers of re-election, all of their efforts come to fruition. And that's what's really fascinating to see. So remember that when we talk about these particular races, behind all of these races is an incumbent that spent the best part of two years or one year, however long the term has been, um, the best part of two years really, really trying to make sure that they hammer home their re-election. And that's really significant because the question can, can be, have they been single-mindedly seeking re-election enough? That's one thing to recall when we talk about Mayhew. The second thing to think about is a book that Mayhew wrote called Divided We Govern. In Divided We Govern, he focuses on divided government and whether or not divided government can be productive. Now, I talk about this because the likelihood is, is that the outcome of this election will lead to a divided government. And divided government is where the different branches of government, so the executive, the president, the legislative, Congress, and the judicial, the Supreme Court, are in fact not unified in terms of uh, a partisanship. So we have a Supreme Court where most of the Supreme Court justices are conservative activist judges. Uh, we also have a situation where Biden is, of course, Democrat president as head of the executive. And the likelihood is, is that the outcome of this election will show that the legislature, Congress, will be controlled by Republicans. And so the question is, is to what extent can government function when that is the case, when there is such polarization and partisanship. Now, in Mayhew's book, he looks at lots of different examples, and his overall argument is that actually a divided government doesn't in any way hinder the legislative process. What I think this election will be really significant for is it might be the beginning of refuting Mayhew's claim. And the reason why I say that is because if the data from the Pew Research Center is correct, Concerning, concerning ideological polarization in Congress, then this is the most polarized that Congress has ever been ideologically. Both parties have moved away from the center, the Republicans more so than the Democrats, it has to be said. But what we see are two parties that are not necessarily willing to be bipartisan, that are not necessarily willing to work with one another. And so this election may be the inception point of a new era really where divided government equals continual blockage or even worse um uh, uh, continual stagnation of the american political system and the ability for the federal government to in fact govern so yeah so i think mayhew will be the really interesting uh, a person to focus on and to see if uh, mayhew uh, mayhew can be argument is dispellable in any particular way okay so let's talk about the overview of the house as it stands 
Okay, so as it stands, there are 220 Democrat seats, 212 Republicans, and three vacant seats. In 2020, this was 222 to the Democrats, 213 to the Republicans. Um, according to uh, uh, 538 polling um, um, uh, agency, there is an 84 in 100 chance that the Republicans win. We have to remember this is a midterm with Biden as president, and normally the president's party at a midterm do not do very well in the House. Or at least they tend to lose more. Now, this means to the eagle-eared amongst you, or the bat-eared amongst you, perhaps I should say, um, is that um, the Republicans only need a net gain of five seats from the Democrats to flip the House. And in that case, they would create a situation of divided government. What about incumbency? What does incumbency tell us? So an incumbency rate tells us what percentage of, um, uh, of officials get re-elected. So since 1984, the average incumbency is 94.23%. That's really, really, really high. <laughs> That's really, really, really high. Okay, so as it stands, that would mean that about 408 would be re-elected. And 400, uh, yeah, 408 of the 435 would be um, uh, re-elected. Um, which doesn't leave us with a lot of seats that could go either way, but there is certainly that room for the Republicans to get five and a little bit more, perhaps. Certainly a little bit more. However, with incumbency, there isn't really a significant relationship um, uh, with time. It's not as if incumbency is getting uh, thicker or thinner with time. Um, the lowest rate of incumbency was in 2010 at 85.4%, and 1998 was its highest at 98.3%. Okay, so as I say, like uh, the average is to expect about 25 to lose their seats. Um, one standard deviation below would be that 40 lose their seats, and up one standard deviation would be that 9 lose their seats. Okay, so beside all of this talk about incumbency and how many of the Republicans need to win and David Mayhew, what are the historical trends of the House? Okay, let's talk averages. So between 2000 and 2020... The Republicans average at 47.42% of the popular vote. Um, uh, the Democrats average at 48.37. The Libertarians at 1.07. The Greens at 0.29 and 2.29% for other. Okay, so generally speaking, it is the Democrats that benefit, or it is the Democrats since 2000 that have done the best, or at least have the highest average in this case. Okay, how about highs and lows? Okay, so the high for the Republicans was in 2008, where they secured, um, oh, sorry, the high for the Republicans was in 2010, where they secured 50.65% of the popular vote. Their low was in 2008, where they achieved 42.38% of the vote. Okay, so if we're thinking in this time period, the two-party system really does come out to play. Because if we think that in 2008, the year that Obama gets elected, it's a presidential year, so expect high turnout. We expect, we know that there was a lot of support for the Democrats in 2008. We think the lowest the lowest share of the popular vote the Republicans get is this year at 42.38%. 
Okay, if that's a low and the high is 50.65 in 2010, the midterm after, we can see a very, very slim uh, 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 aperture or a slim gap in which all of these uh, vote shares sit within. For the Democrats, um, uh, as you can imagine, it's reverse. So in 2010, uh, they had their low with 44.87. a little bit higher than the Republicans' um, uh, low. And uh, their high was in 2008, which was 52.93%. Again, about the same um, uh, margin higher than the Republicans. So what we're talking about is most of these, most of the historical data sitting between about 42 to 52-53 percent. All right, what about correlations? Let's talk about correlations. Uh, sadly, for the sake of interest, there are no statistically significant correlations with time. Um, neither party is becoming more popular in the House or less popular in the House as time goes on. In fact, both have mild trends at most, the border on plateaus. Uh, so for those that like statistics, if you don't, I apologize for the next couple of seconds. The Republicans, uh, their relationship with their vote share with time returns a Pearson's R of minus 0.07085. Almost a plateau. And a downwards plateau. <laughs> and the Democrats return a Pearson's R of 0.29775. Nothing really to write home about in any way. And in neither case is there a p-value that's significant. So what we can say is that with time, there is no statistically significant change amongst vote share for the Republicans or Democrats in the House. Okay, probabilities. Okay, so the probability that the Republicans will get below their 2008 score, or their 2008 result, Using only the historical data, no polling data as it stands, just the historical averages and just the historical uh, statistics, is 2.5%, or 2.35%. Okay, so that they'll, they will go lesser than 42.38%, there's only a 2.3 chance in 100. Okay, so we can be pretty sure that the Republicans will do better than they did in 2008. That they will do better than their best in 2010 is almost 12 in 100. So again, the likelihood of this happening is slim, not impossible, but very, very slim. That they'll fall between the two, again, between 47.42 and... Uh, between um, uh, 42.38 and 50.65 is 84, 85 out of 100. So very high. There's a very high chance they'll fall between the 2008 and 2010 scores. Um, more interesting, though, whether or not they'll go above 2020. So the Republicans, um, uh, a Republicans vote share in 2020 was 47.23 percent um, that will go above that. There is a 53 chance in 100. OK, and that spans everything from the average to plus three standard deviations <laughs> okay so there's a very high chance that they'll do better than they did in uh, 2020 that i would personally i don't want to say bet on because i don't want to encourage gambling but i would personally say that that is a statistical likelihood and then they'll get above 50 percent full stop is um a, a 17 in 100 
So maybe we should be looking for the Republicans to get somewhere between um, uh, their um, uh, 2020 score, their 2020 um, uh, popular vote share. So as I say, that's around 47.2, but less than 50. Okay, so somewhere between 47 and 50 we should expect for the Republicans. All right, what about for the Democrats? As I say, this is not using polling. This is just using uh, historical statistical data for the uh, House as a whole on the national level. So that the Democrats will get below their 2010 high is 12 in 100. Very unlikely. Um, that they will get... Oh, their, their 2010 low, sorry. Um, it is um, uh, 12 in 100. Very unlikely. That they'll get above their 2008 high is only six and a half in a hundred. So also very, very unlikely. And if they do that, that would be plus one to plus two standard deviations above the mean. Very, very unlikely. But that they'll sit between the 2010 and 2008 high and low is 65 and 100. So we should expect that. We should expect them to sit between the two. And that they get above 50% at all is around 30 and 100. It's very, it's possible, but it's slim. It's very, very slim. Um, in this case, for a midterm where they control the presidency. So what we can expect is for the Republicans to get somewhere in the region of 47 to 50. And maybe we can expect the Democrats to get somewhere between 45 and 48%. That's very, very thick bandwidth. <laughs> I'm sure some of you are thinking, but that's probably the best that we can safely statistically assume at this point. Okay, so as we said, we had a chat about um, incumbency. Um, uh, incumbency between 2000 and 2020, just um, over the last 20 years, sits at 93.91% as an average. So as I said, that means about 400 and eight, 409, we should expect to be re-elected on average in 2022. Um, as I said, that there is a high of 97.8 in 2000 and 2004 and a low of 85.4 in 2010. So we should, as I say, we should expect in the region of 25 to 26 on average to lose their seats. And it's just about who those 25, 26 go to and who loses them. <laughs> okay, so... Okay, so for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to go through some of the races that I think are really, really interesting to watch at this midterm election for the House of Representatives. Some of them will be because there is a specific demographic there that's really interesting, be it social or partisan, or another because we just expect it to be a particularly close race, and it'll be fun to watch to see what happens. And also to remember broadly that Republicans only need five seats, right? So every race counts. Okay, let's get cracking. Okay, the North Carolina 13th. The North Carolina 13th is significant because it's suburbs and exurbs. Um, it's an open seat. There's no incumbent. And it's most likely at what's called a tipping point district. So it's a really, really good indicator for other districts. Next is the... Oh, I expect that to go to the Republicans, by the way. Next, we have the Iowa 3rd. 
The Iowa 3rd is the second most likely tipping point district. Um, it has very similar characteristics of North Carolina 13th. Um, and partnership roughly averages at the moment at around R plus two and a half. Okay, so it's moving slightly more Republican than it is Democrat. Um, now, in 2020, the um, House seat returned 47.55% vote share for the Republicans and 48.94 for the Democrats. So the Democrats just took it. But personally, I think that with this being a midterm with Biden in power and with there being a, a, a slight movement towards the Republicans, we should expect the Iowa third to turn um, or to flip Republican. All right, the California 27th is a difficult one because it's just gone through a process of redistricting uh, with the California 25th being folded into parts of it. Um, uh, so it leans Democratic. It's D plus eight. Um, but it's held by a Republican who won uh, uh, in a 2020 special election. Uh, it's a reach seat for Republicans in normal years, but it's interesting as it's the only congressional district in L.A. County that's held by a Republican. So the question is, can Mike Garcia, the Republican incumbent, can they hold on to this? Um, as far as predictions are concerned, both um, uh, 538 and The Economist are predicting around a 65 or a 66 um, uh, 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 time in a hundred, the Republicans will win it. So I still think this is a toss-up based upon the California 25th's history, uh, which was really, really close, really, really close. But yeah, I still think this is a bit of a toss-up, but the likelihood is that the Republicans will hold it. But that's not set in stone. Okay, the Texas 15th. The Texas 15th is a bit of a strange one. Uh, so it was won by the Democrats in... Um, uh, uh, 2020. It's been held by the Democrats for a long, long time. In fact, since uh, my personal records of this begin in 2000. Um, so they win it with 50.05% of the vote. The Republicans trail behind at 47.06. Um, I think this is actually a really, really interesting district. Uh, the uh, Democrats are expected to win it 52 times in 100 um uh for 538 actually the economist has it winning 67 in 100 so this is a bit of a toss-up one but i think it's really fascinating um i personally think it'll continue the trend uh going democrat um perhaps there is a really interesting correlation uh with time um since 2000 that the Repu that the democrats have become less um um significant have become less popular um, and that the Republicans have become slightly more popular. Um, but sadly, neither of them are statistically significant. They're just sort of general trends. Uh, so we could see either one win. I personally think it'll go, it'll lean Democrat. Um, but I would understand why, if not so. This is also an interesting district because 80% of the district's voting age population, a uh, voting age population, um, is Latino. Um, so this shows us this might be able to be used as a really interesting um uh, district um which voted um predominantly for uh biden in 2020 uh has to be said um be really interesting to see how this compares to other districts that are very very high vap latino in america i think that'd be really really interesting to see how they compare um yeah, so it'll be able to clarify that particular section of the vote. But also it's really important to remember that the Latino vote is not 
monolithic right so you have like different generations country of origin location etc all of these apply um yeah and as i say um uh, uh 25th at very least voted um uh or old 27th voted in favor of um uh biden but other parts voted in favor of trump so it'd be really interesting to see what happens in the texas 15th all right the new york 22nd new york 22nd is really really interesting um it's kind of hung it's kind of not depending on who you speak to so 538 has the republicans winning the economist has the democrats winning uh in 2020 this was super super tight in fact there was only 0.03 percent in it <laughs> uh yes yeah, so the democrats won with 48.93 percent of the vote the republicans trailed with 48.9 the fact that it's a midterm, the fact that you have um, uh, historically you have quite a good turnout for the Republicans in this district. I just think that although there isn't much correlational movement in the data, I just think that because, again, it's a midterm with Biden in power, um, with Biden as president um, being a Democrat, I just think that that will just be the tipping point just a little bit over. But we'll have to wait and see. OK, the Ohio 9th. Uh, if there was ever an example of a gerrymandered seat, it is Ohio 9th. <laughs> I know some people wouldn't necessarily like me saying that, but that's true. It's a really good example of a packed gerrymandered seat. Um, the Democrats consistently win this. Um, but I think what's interesting about this is that we should expect um, uh, the Democrats to win. Uh, 75 and 100 times they win according to 538 60 and 100 for the economist so we should expect it to remain democrat but i think what's more interesting is looking at how well or how badly the republicans do because the republican candidate attended the stop the steal rally okay the new mexico second uh is uh, um, a um a fairly tight ish district um it's been redistricted um uh, uh it, there's also a little bit of gerrymandering to a certain degree um uh, and that will uh limit uh perhaps yvette harrell who's the republican uh incumbent so in 2020 she won uh with 53.75 percent of the vote um and the democrats got 46.25 percent which is interesting which is fun um yeah so 538 the the republicans win the new mexico second 79 and 100 times the economist it's 59 in 100 times so we should expect uh the republicans to win it's on my list because it's a really interesting seat to see how redistricting affects okay the pennsylvania seventh pennsylvania seventh is a really 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 complicated seat <laughs> to try and work out what's going to happen all right so 538 has the republicans winning 53 in 100 times the economist has the democrats winning 53 in 100 times so this is a toss-up a traditional example of a toss-up um all right what we can certainly see is that in uh, 2000 the republicans achieved almost 65 percent and in 2020 they just achieved 48 percent there is a rather mild moderate correlation with time it's almost statistically significant, but the, the correlation is very, very solid that the Republicans are losing votes as time goes on, uh, although they still have the average for the period at 
Um, and the Democrats are gaining. So in 2000, the Democrats um, returned 35.19% of the popular vote. And in 2020, they achieved 51.87. Okay, so their average is at 43.84. And there is a, a two-party system, of course. There is an inverse relationship. Uh, the Republicans have a Pearson's R of minus 0 0.50592. Moderate moderate decline um as i said there's no statistically significant p-value um which is like statistics you talk for saying that there is a correlation there but it, it isn't necessarily we couldn't we couldn't bet money on it <laughs> um uh, and know that we would win money um and the democrats have the inverse with a pearson's r of 0.49376 and a p-value of 0.12269 so yeah, so I think this is a really difficult one. I think it's heads and tails, really, <laughs> to be perfectly frank. I have it myself. Um, I've run a couple of models on this particular district, and I've got it, both of them winning <laughs> in both cases as well. But I am mildly inclined to say that the Democrats might hold it. Might hold it. Um... But then you see, I say this with the microphone in front of me. I'm saying this. I'm looking at the data again. I don't know. The Republicans might take it as well, right? If they do, it will be probably more than just the skin of teeth. There'll probably have to be a rather big change, probably have to be a rather big shift. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Republicans lost the seat in 2016. Oh, sorry, in 2018, I should say. So it's not as if there is not a history of voting with the Republicans in this seat. So who knows? Who knows? All right, next, the Illinois 14th. This is another really, really complicated one. Uh, I think it's fairly complicated. Some disagree with me. Um, in 2020, uh, the Democrats returned 50.67 and the Republicans 49.33. That's a 1.34% margin. That is just 5,374 votes. That's really, really, really tight. Now, as far as correlations go, we do have a statistically significant correlation here. In fact, the Republicans are hemorrhaging votes as time goes on, and the Democrats are picking them up, okay? rather interestingly so what we should expect is for the democrats if the if the historical long-term trends are correct we should expect the democrats to pick up this seat um in illinois or sorry that we should expect them to hold this seat but increase their uh, popularity here which i think with this particular midterm might be um a, a rarity in fact so the economist has it winning 95 and 100 and 538 76 in 100 but if it doesn't i think that'll be really really significant if the republicans do somehow manage to take it i mean the 2020 race was close if they do somehow manage to take it um i think that will mean that those smaller um or that those uh, uh, seats that we would naturally expect to be democrat we would have to perhaps think again Okay, the New Jersey 7th. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I expect the New Jersey 7th, which is currently um, has a Democrat incumbent, to flip Republican. Um, I think this will be one of those five seats that will push it over the edge for the Republicans. So the 2020 close, uh, or 2020 was close, uh, even closer than the Illinois 14th. 
Um, so that was the Democrats got 50.61%, the Republicans 49.39%. That's a 1.22% margin. That's just 5,371 votes. Very, very little. Okay, so what we can see, uh, unlike the Illinois 14th with the New Jersey um, 7th, is that there is no statistically um, a significant correlation with time. Uh, the Republicans are not really getting much less popular there is a trend that way but it really isn't significant um and the opposite for the democrats they're getting more popular but meh it's not really anything to write home about um the republicans uh average from 2000 to 2020 53.88 percent the democrats 43.87 percent um and as i say it's so close i just expect it to turn i just expect it to flip so yeah, as I say, 538 has the Republicans winning the New Jersey 7th 73 times in 100, and the Economist 56 times in 100. Um, by my modelling, it was slight, using other polling, it was slightly less than um, uh, the 538 one, uh, but higher than the Economists, around about 64. Okay, the California 45th, this is also going to be, I think, a really fascinating seat. It's currently her, um, uh, held by a uh, Republican because it's merged with the 48th. Uh, Michelle Steele, who's a Republican, seeks re-election. Uh, she received 51.06% in 2020 for the 48th, turning it from the, Dem from the Democrats. Uh, I just think this will sit, continue to sit uh, with the Republicans. Um, I don't think this is a particularly controversial seat, some do. So the Economist has this as a toss-up seat. 538 does not. Um, I think that because of the redistricting, it will more than likely uh, uh, return Michelle Steele. Okay, the Maryland 6th is a really good example of Democratic or Democrat Party gerrymandering. Again, some might not like me saying that, but that's true. It's a really good example of gerrymandering that's cracking. Um, uh, that's a method of gerrymandering where you divide up the people that you don't want to win as opposed to like um, uh, earlier where you put them all in one in one area. Um, so in 2020, um, the Democrats won with 58.82 percent and in 2020, um, uh, the Republicans uh, lost with 39.19 percent. I'm just really interested to see how this seat plays out. I know the Democrats will win. We should expect the Democrats to win. But I think the really interesting thing to see will be to measure how even in a Democratic gerrymandered seat, the Democrat um, popular vote lowers. Again, I think that'd be really, really fun. Uh, other seats that I think are fun to will be fun to look at uh, will be uh, the uh, 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 um, uh, Pennsylvania 8th will be interesting. Uh, the Virginia, which I think will be a toss up. The Virginia 2nd, which I expect to turn Republican. The New Hampshire 1st, which is a toss-up. The Maine 2nd and the Michigan 7th, I expect to remain Democrat. Um, the Nebraska 2nd, the Virginia 7th, the Texas 34th, the Rhode Island 2nd, and the Michigan 3rd, and the Nevada 1st. These are all races to keep um, uh, your eye on, but I could go on talking all night about different districts, but I won't bore you. So yeah, that's the house. So all in all, although I can't give you a specific figure, I do expect um, the Democrats to win um, uh, 
at least at least 200 i expect the republicans to win more than 200 there's a lot of states in between that we're not too sure <laughs> about that will determine this overall i do think that um uh, the republicans will achieve the magic number to take the house okay so if you're wondering how i think that the outcome is going to be the republicans will get the five necessary seats i do think they will flip them in order to be able to take the house so you've been listening to me kieran o'meara on the pollock podcast talking about what i expect to happen at these 2022 midterm general elections in america in relation to the House of Representatives. We've spoken about historical trends, divided government, David Mayhew. We've also spoken a little bit about incumbency rates, probabilities of what's going to happen, and those really important key races that I would say you should keep your eyes peeled to. Alongside that, if you haven't already done so, go check out that article on turnout on the website. It's really, really good. I personally really enjoyed writing it. <laughs> Alongside that, go check out our social media at Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember that I'll be tweeting from the Pollet and my own account the evening of the election whilst trying to do some up-to-date analysis by the minute, which means, yes, I am going to be awake all night. <laughs> and remember that when you're in the mood for a think, think Pollet at www thinkpollet.com and if you're american go and vote <laughs> have a great election and i'll see you soon <laughs>